Welcome to another episode of The Bandage Podcast, a weekly wrap-up of the most trending healthcare news. Each week, join me and my co-host, Alex Ross, as we'll discuss the latest in healthcare, health IT, and compliance. In this week's episode, we discuss an alert system for kidney injury, mislabeled food items, and an improved breast cancer imaging tool. Let's wrap things up. This is episode 69 for the week of January 25th. I'm Matt Moneypenny. And I'm Alex Ross. Before we get started, our diagnosis code of the week is Y92.330, ice skating rink indoor, outdoor, as the place of occurrence of the external cause. Uh, well, interestingly enough, um, this code appeared on my medical records this week, believe it or not. Mm. Uh, you may not know this, but companies today that are providing backyard ice skating rinks are actually seeing some of the most like crazy record profits that they've ever had right now, believe it or not. Yeah. The Google trend for backyard ice skating rink has gone through the roof. <laughs> yeah. Now, me myself, as kind of a, a hockey lover, um, I decided to hop in on the trend and build myself a, a nice backyard skating rink. And okay. so I, okay. I basically took some four by fours, put them in a big square, threw a tarp over the whole thing and filled it with water. Okay. Yeah. Sounds safe. It, it was a lot of fun. Well, the, the biggest issue is that I don't know how to stop. And so I, you know, took off skating really, really fast and didn't have a way to stop. And so I basically tripped right over the edge of the ice rink. And uh, yeah, ah, I did stop. So, so is it the is it the ice rink as the place of occurrence or is it outside of the ice rink that is the place of the occurrence? Well, we counted it as ice rink. Mm, okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, good question. Good question. So just to point out the Google trends, usually Google trends peak in around January. And so if we're looking at the Google trend for January for ice skating rink, um, it looks like we're already above the previous record of Google Trend for Backyard Ice Rink. Mm -hmm. And it, it's only the data from end of Jan or December. So we still aren't seeing January's information. So we're on track for record trends for Backyard <laughs> Ice Rink. Thanks for the update. With that, let's get right into the news. First up, we have here to alert you that your system isn't working. Electronic alert systems that provide an early warning of acute kidney injury, or AKI, in patients may have no effect on their risk of death. These alerts may actually lead to worse patient outcomes, according to a new study by Yale researchers. AKI is an abrupt decline in kidney filtration function, which is found in 15% of hospitalized patients, and it increases the likelihood of death by tenfold. Many health centers use a system that delivers an automated alert when lab results indicate AKI, but there's limited data on whether these improve patient outcomes. Even more alarming, the researchers found that for two hospitals, the outcomes for patients whose records included the alert were worse than those who didn't. There were significantly higher death rates among those receiving an alert, 15.6% compared to 8.6%. I'm wondering if this is a situation where better training could change this outcome. And yeah. Let me explain it in very simple terms. 
if I am in a room with 10 people and I start choking, but none mm-hmm. of them know how to do the Heimlich maneuver, my chance of getting injured from them trying to help me is significantly higher than if I'm in a room where they know what to do, right? So this is a new technology, a new alert, and it may be something as simple as the nurses don't know how to react to that properly. So they do, you know, whatever they'd been trained to do for other situations, obviously in good intentions, but it's not necessarily the right thing to be doing. Right. Um, I think, I mean, also, sure, it could be a training thing, but it could also just be a helpful thing as well. (laughs) Right. I mean, I feel like if you have both, it definitely decreases the chances like a a ton. But um, right. Better safe than sorry, I guess, is probably the the motive here. Well, here's my line of thinking. What is the only difference between hospitals where there is not an alert and hospitals where there is? It's Mm -hmm. it's the reaction after that alert happens. That's right. the only thing that can possibly change. So that tells me that it's something we're doing when we get that alert that mm-hmm. is causing that, that. that worse outcome. And, and that's what we need to find. Because in general, finding bad things like acute kidney injury early is good. It's always right. been good. There's never been a time when we're like, oh, darn, if only we would have not found this, you would have been better off, mm-hmm. right? right? I mean, obviously fringe cases, but that's not the rule. So there has to be something else going on, and, and I I would like to see them find out why. Maybe in a later episode we'll read something else on a follow-up. I hope so. Next up, people with allergies may have some beef with this producer. The U.S. Department of Agriculture's Food Safety and Inspection Service is issuing a public health alert for ready-to-eat beef jerky products. This is due to misbranding and an undeclared allergen of anchovies. The FSIS issued the public health alert out of caution to ensure that consumers with allergies to anchovies are aware that they shouldn't eat these products. The beef jerky was produced from October 20, 2020 through January 12, 2021, and had a one-year shelf life, so it could still be in your pantry. The problem was discovered by FSIS inspection personnel. There's no confirmed reports of adverse reactions due to consumption of their products. Anyone concerned about illness should contact their healthcare provider. Very interesting. So I didn't know that there was an anchovy allergy, which is, it's not specific to just anchovies. It's a allergy to finned fish, and it occurs in roughly... 1% 1% of the, the population. Really? And it's more common in adults as compared to children, which I guess makes sense because I don't think children very, even if they were allergic to, to fin fish, they probably wouldn't be eating fin fish. I've never really yeah, met I, a kid that's I'll like, hey, give me some of that salmon. <laughs> I'll be honest. I don't think I've ever met someone who is allergic to, to fin fish. Yeah, I've heard those those. I've met a lot of shellfish people right, in my life. Right. Yeah. So incredible. People who are allergic to shellfish. <laughs> I, I'm also a little bit surprised to learn that there are anchovies in beef jerky. So I, I didn't I know that I either. I should read the ingredients a little better, even though they didn't print it in this case. That's it might be like, a, 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 like almost like a paste, like to try to bring every, keep everything to, to hold together. I could see that. 
because if you, I mean, if you're cooking meat at a certain point, it's going to get tender. So maybe the anchovy keeps it together so that it can get past that point and be smoked. You know, it's not a bad idea. It's a good, it's a good, you know, I'm using the scientific method here to make my prediction and <laughs> I'm going to go with it. You know, there's, there's, a, it's a good hypothesis. From kind of a humor standpoint, uh, I found it entertaining when they said, hey, uh, this might still be in your pantry, so go check. Because anytime I've ever bought a beef jerky product of any kind, it's gone same day. Yeah, because they never package enough in it. It's like, <laughs> it costs like $20 for a little pouch of three pieces of beef jerky. Right, and then I eat it immediately. I yeah, it's, it's insane. It's, it's like $5 <laughs> per little slice. It's, it's, it's outrageous. But the beef jerky industry needs to increase their, their amount of meat per pouch because it's low. I have a bigger problem with that than I do with the amount of air in bags of potato chips. So I'm just going to put that out there. Next up, providers don't need to imagine a better imaging tool. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration has granted Sino Medical Instruments pre-market approval for its diagnostic breast cancer imaging technology. The Imageo breast imaging system uses non-invasive ultrasound technology to provide real-time information on suspicious breast lesions. It helps providers characterize and differentiate masses between benign and malignant. This helps them determine if a mass requires more invasive diagnostic evaluation. Currently, breast biopsy producers caused by false positive assessments cost the healthcare system more than $2 billion per year in the United States. But Sino's Imageo could mitigate this by giving providers increased confidence to make a better decision about the need for diagnostic breast biopsies. Um, you know, I mean, this goes back to things we've talked about before. Uh, anything with cancer research, I view as a positive, pretty much. Even if it's something that's, even if it's a study that's relatively negative in, in tone, it's still very helpful to cancer research to know any kind of information that they can get. So if they, if they're, especially if it's an instrument, a new tool, um, that's trying to help, uh, diagnosis in any kind of way, it's always, it's always a good thing. Not a lot more you can say about that. With us going to our next segment, B-R-E-A-C-H, Breach Patrol. It's a breach! All of the latest cybersecurity breaches. Welcome to... B-R-E-A-C-H Patrol, Breach Patrol, where we talk about the latest and biggest and greatest and worst breaches all across the world. First up, opening up their forum to third-party access. The OpenWRT forum recently suffered a data breach. An unauthorized third party gained admin access to and copied a list with details about users and related statistical information. Two-factor authentication was not active on the administrator account. Email addresses and handles of the users were stolen, but the attacker wasn't able to download the database, so passwords should be saved. But the company reset all passwords just in case. Since the breach exposed email addresses, users may become targets to phishing attempts. So, uh, yeah, the main problem here is no two-factor authentication, which is something that I pretty much, I mean, you should probably do regardless of what type of account it is, just in case. I mean, even if you're just making a one-off account for something to get access to something that you just want to read, it's still helpful to put two-factor authentication because, I mean, at the end of the day, the only person who has your phone is going to be you unless it gets stolen. And if it gets stolen, you can just transfer the data still, so... 
Well, uh, that, that brings helpful. me to two separate points. The first okay. one is, as much as I appreciate two-factor authentication, it's getting really annoying. It is. no matter what I want to log into, now it takes me an extra 30 seconds. And I log into a lot of things in a day. True. So it's really obnoxious. However, yeah. that said, the the vulnerability just shifts from individual sites to your phone. So, right. for example, on Androids, you can open up someone's text messages on Android pretty easily. Mm-hmm. If you can log into their their Google account, for example. Right. So you just need to get into one account, and now you've got all of those two-factor codes that you could want as you go through them. Yep, yep. So Google does this new thing. Google does this new thing that I've been, I've been starting to just use. <laughs> and essentially what it is is whenever you make a new account, Google will just be like, hey, here's a recommended password for this. And it's just something that you'll never be able to memorize. Yeah. And then, of course, you can save it through your Google account. So what I do is I just make the new new account, use the password that they recommend, and then save it. So my my theory is, obviously, it's it's not good if someone can get into your Google account. But my theory is, is I'll use whatever they recommend. And then, worst case, I just say forgot password. <laughs> because, I mean, at this point in my life, I can't remember, like, any passwords that I use. And of course yeah. you don't want to use the same password for multiple things, even though that's what most people do. So my idea is like, all right, I'm just going to have Google take care of it. And then worst comes to worst, I'll just change it. And it's going to take me a minute anyways, but that's already what I'm doing. So it's just, yeah, I, I it's like just kind it. of annoying. I agree. I that part. The suggested passwords a few times. The, the problem for me comes in not being able to access my things from any other device, really. So yeah. like, Anything my Google account has signed into, cool, it knows the password. But right. if I want to, for example, switch to the Firefox browser, I don't know why I would want to, but if I did that, now I don't have any passwords right? at all, which is super obnoxious. So, you know, I like it from the standpoint of a very secure password, but I hate it from that trapping me into using Google's products. Like, ah, right. that's the part I don't like. Right. Yep. Just, uh, you know, it's just the life we live in. Hopefully they, they figure out a way to streamline this login process and accounts process because it's it's getting old. <laughs> Next up, time to manufacture better cybersecurity tools. Mansfield Manufacturing Company, Hong Kong, and its subsidiaries in mainland China has suffered a cybersecurity incident. Its IT network was unlawfully accessed by cyber criminals and its system was encrypted by a virus. Upon discovering the incident, Mansfield Group took immediate action, launched an investigation, and carried out intensive recovery works. Law enforcement authorities and security bureaus were promptly notified. The threat has been contained and most data has been recovered. Reconstruction work has been completed and business activities are now operational. The company is conducting rigorous review of the incident and its system to ensure that the data remains safe and secure. Is there such a thing as a cybersecurity breach in China? <laughs> one of the main takeaways from this is the PR move, which is they said that they are doing it and carrying out intensive recovery works. So, right. I, I wonder what exactly that means. Intensive yeah, I, recovery work. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> well, we, uh, well, we cleaned up. We made yeah, sure we're, that we're, you know, we're we coming back. The door. <laughs> we're we're, we're no coming back strong. Over. Revenues are projected to be up. Everything is good. Act completely normal. I think of that meme with the dog that's sitting in his kitchen where the, his house is on fire. And he's like, this is fine. 
I'm curious if the virus that encrypted their server was it a ransomware attack or was it just mean? You know, were they trying to extract money in exchange for the? It sounds the, like a Trojan, almost. Almost like it was just designed to cause damage. Yeah, it just kind of was like it just got in there, like without them knowing, and then was like, "Hey, I'm here. Time to encrypt." Sucks to be you. And then that's what happened. Next up, the price of trying to sell data. Financial services company Absa Group fired and laid criminal charges against an employee who was accused of exposing customer data in November 2020. The bank confirmed investigations into the leak that revealed a total of 209,000 customers affected. It found that the employee had sold customer data to third parties for personal financial gain. ABSA isn't able to give more details about how the former employee gained access to the data, but upon discovery, the bank secured court orders that enabled search and seizure of operations and secured all devices containing data. The data on the devices has since been destroyed, and all affected customers were notified in November. ABSA reviewed its controls and processes to further strengthen its defenses and reduce risk of future incidents. Yep, this goes back to the whole, uh, you can have as many safeguards in place as a company, but at the end of the day, if you have a disgruntled employee, they could be the one who just decides one day, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and uh, affect 209,000 customer accounts, which is insane. Right, you could have every security measure in the world, and it doesn't matter if somebody who has the ability to bypass those does. Yep. Right. And keep in mind, threats don't always come from the outside. They come from the inside, too, and we often forget that. So if you don't already have a method to, you know, it's a good idea to monitor your employees when they're accessing customer data. So requiring that all all accessing of customer data has to take place on your secure server, for example. Or, or be in a virtual network with that server. By doing right. so, then we can monitor everything that's happening. We can ensure that only company devices access it, and we know who is where at what times, right? So all those kind of safeguards are designed to protect us from potential internal threats. I'm not mm-hmm. saying distrust your employees, but you know, trust but verify kind of situation. Right, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's a very unfortunate thing, especially considering it's a bank and that would be, I don't know what would happen if, 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 if my bank account got hacked. I don't know what would I, what I would do. I would That'd probably start crying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially considering it's a financial institution. I mean, they're going to have some serious lawsuits on their hand. Absolutely. Too, so it's a very unfortunate thing to happen for, in both parties, both the bank and the people of the bank. And that's it for this week's wrap-up of your weekly healthcare news. I'm Alex Ross. And I'm Matt Moneypenny. And we will see you next week. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of The Bandage. This week's episode was written and produced by eTactics. eTactics is a leading revenue cycle solutions organization committed to providing innovative, web-based solutions that improve our clients' cash management and customer relationships. Thanks, and we'll see you next week.